Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast, and we are just one week away from the Iowa caucuses. And we are here now with a quick take on something called the ground game. And we're going to talk about what that is and why it matters. I'm Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover tech and the campaign. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. So, Mara, when we talk about ground game, we're talking about everything the campaigns are doing right now, this week. Countdown is on to February 1st, caucus day. That's right. Everything they're doing, door knocking, using big data to identify people who would support them if only they had a nudge to go to the polls. Then they're using high tech to create that nudge, the most effective nudge to get them to come out. They're using social media. They're trying to find people who know those voters because they have learned that if you get a nudge from someone you know, you're more likely to respond to it. So there's a whole arsenal of things that they're using to make sure that their supporters get to the polls on caucus night. So we're talking about turning out people to vote in the Iowa caucuses. But let's just put this in a little bit of perspective. How many people are we actually talking about? We're talking about very few people relatively. In January of 2012, 121,000 Republicans turned out. In 2004, just to give you an example, Democratic turnout was 124,000. But in 2008, what happened was you had Hillary Clinton and John Edwards and Barack Obama running and enthusiasm was very, very high. And Democratic turnout went all the way up to 240,000. And they say that Hillary Clinton, the number of votes that Hillary Clinton got in 2008 in the caucus she actually would have won in a regular caucus year, but she came in third in 2008. This is one of the problems with the ground game because in order to construct your ground game, you have to have a model of the electorate, what you think the electorate is going to be, how many people are going to turn out. And it is a guesstimate at best. You know, in other words, in 2008, Hillary Clinton met her targets and then some, but she underestimated the universe of voters. So on the Republican side, especially with so many candidates dividing up the vote, you're talking about a relatively small sliver of registered voters in a state. If you're able to round these people up, get them to the right place, get them to vote for your person, that could be big, especially in an enormous field like the Republicans have. Right. And And you can win with 34,000 votes, Mm -hmm. 30,000 votes. You could win on the Democratic side with 40-something thousand votes. Scott Detrow, you have been covering the tech side of this. And there are many, many tentacles to what that is. What are you seeing out there? How are how are they playing this ground game this time around? Sure. Well, broadly speaking, oversimplifying, we can take those tentacles and put them into two different camps. The first phase of this is identifying who your likely voters or caucus goers are. When you go to campaign events and um, Hillary Clinton's, for example, they present people who come to these events with cards saying, sign up, give us your name, give us your email address, give us your phone number. Can we text you? They're looking for information about voters, who's coming to their events, and who can they identify as a likely supporter or a possible supporter who can be persuaded. So they take all this information, they add it to the voter file data that they already have about people, how often they vote, what party they're registered at. And that's kind of how they form the basis for who they're going to reach out to over the course of the campaign. Uh, reaching out to them is something that's really developed over the last couple cycles as well. A lot of campaigns rely on text messages now way more than they have before. So again, taking the Clinton campaign, they're constantly texting people. I know you get a lot of these texts. Yeah. So I, um, as a reporter, you sign up for texts for the campaigns that you're covering. And the Hillary Clinton campaign has been texting a lot. And some really specific text messages asking you to reply if you want to watch along the debate with them or or things like that. You know, one thing we did learn from the Obama campaign, which was the gold standard of the ground game and 
the apparatus of the Obama field operation has been inherited by Hillary Clinton, is that neighbor-to-neighbor contacts really matter. So not only are they trying to identify people who would support Hillary if they came out. You don't want to energize a Sanders voter. Um, They're also trying to figure out who knows those people. Who are your contacts on Facebook? Because if you get a nudge from someone you know and like and lives next door or works with you, you're more likely to respond than if you just get a blast email or text from some campaign. And Scott, you reported on Ted Cruz's campaign doing some of that. Exactly. They were doing that on social media. One aspect of it that we reported on was an app that they have uh, supporters use where they asked people to um, share their phone contact list. So they say, okay, you right there, you're a Ted Cruz supporter, and we see in your phone list that there are two people who we have in our voter file as Republicans who consistently vote. Why don't you get in touch with them for us? Here's something we'd like you to send to them. So that's a way that they kind of create these social networks and use them to their advantage. The Bernie Sanders campaign, for example, has its volunteers sitting in Iowa offices texting people directly saying, hey, I'm Scott. I'm volunteering with Bernie Sanders. Just want to make sure that, you know, you're aware of where you need to caucus as opposed to kind of that blasted out text message that you see some from so many Wait, other campaigns. They have real people with their thumbs on their phones texting other real people. Yes. And the uh, the Clinton campaign is trying to do something similar. Uh, they have made a point to respond to every single response they get to their text messages. Because again, it's trying to keep a conversation going, trying to keep voters engaged so that on February 1st or later dates for other states, they can say, OK, it's time to vote. Remember when you said you were going to support us? You know, here's where you need to caucus. Here's where you need to go. We'd like to, to see you show up. And not just here's where you need to go. This is how social science, the study of human behavior, is applied to politics. First of all, it's very high tech and soft touch, as Scott just described. But also, they know through experiments that if you get someone, not just tell them where to go, but if you get them to write to you and tell you where they are are going to go and what they are planning to do on caucus day, who they're going to go with. Are they going to have coffee at some place first? Are they going to go party afterwards? Then they are more likely to carry out that plan once they've expressed it. They also know, for instance, that uh, if you are contacted numerous times over and over again by the same person, you're more likely uh, to come out. You mean so nagging, basically. Nagging by somebody that you know and 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 have a relationship with. And the Clinton campaign has been asking supporters to submit their, their caucus day plans to them for a while now. And they're planning on actually sending those back to people on caucus day saying, hey, here's here's what the plan you told us was. Go do it now. Have you gotten that coffee yet? Right. <laughs> have you made a reservation for dinner after the caucus? Wow. So I want to just briefly, Mara, get you to describe what caucusing is like in Iowa, because this is not just like, oh, we've got to get people to show up at the polls sometime between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. No, you don't just zip in, cast your vote and zip out, at least on the Democratic side. You go there, you listen to speeches from supporters of the candidates, you form groups, you literally Hillary Clinton people go in one corner, the Sanders people go in another corner. You have a chance to try to convince people to switch sides. It's a very complex process, and it's all done in public. Every one of your neighbors is going to know who you are for. Now, the Republican side is a little bit different. You still have to show up. You still have to stay there. You still listen to the speeches from your friends and neighbors who are supporting different candidates. But in the end, you cast a secret ballot. But this is sort of overwhelming. This is, if you've never caucused before, this is a complicated process. This is a pain. It is inevitably going to be very cold outside. And Scott, the campaign's 
especially the Sanders campaign and the Trump campaign, these two campaigns that are betting on bringing out these first-time caucus goers, they are trying to make people more comfortable with the idea of caucusing. Exactly. Trying to frame it, saying, you know, you might have heard that this is a complicated process. It's not. It's easy. You just show up. You follow the instructions. You support your candidate. It's simple. Both of these campaigns have actually put out videos um, walking supporters through the process, trying to make it a little easier to them, less intimidating, and also giving them a sense of what to expect. And we have a little bit of tape of the Sanders campaign. If you're going to be 18 by Election Day and you're an Iowan, you can caucus. And how does the caucus work? Okay, let's get to it. Our precinct is allowed to elect nine delegates. It's better with video than it is on audio, but it definitely has this homespun feel, even though it is it is a slickly produced video. And Donald Trump has a video as well. Um, it's a little bit of a different feel. Hi, I'm Tana Gerds, Donald Trump's Iowa State co-chair, and I'm so excited to talk to you about how easy it is to go out and okay, caucus so with Donald Trump. Caucus night, every precinct, people show up, people give speeches, but there is some order to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, each campaign tries to have a precinct captain for each caucus site who will sort of lead the troops for the people that support their candidate. And that kind of support can make a difference. Uh, I spent some time last week with uh, Rick Santorum, the former Pennsylvania senator who, of course, came out of nowhere to win the 2012 caucus. He had to wait a few weeks to find out, but he still did win. (laughs) And he was telling uh, crowds that he thought having that precinct level organization really did make a key difference four years ago. He said that there were a lot of precincts where only one or two other candidates had somebody stand up and speak. And the Santorum people, again, this is anecdotal, but they said in several places because they had organization throughout the entire state and a lot of rural areas, they were able to pick up support in the room simply because they showed up, you know, like half of life is just showing up. The Santorum people showed up, made a speech and won some votes because of those efforts. Mara, we've been talking more about the Democrats than the Republicans. What does it look like on the Republican side? Well, on the Republican side, what we know is the two front runners, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. Ted Cruz has a very tried and true field operation in Iowa, which basically is Christian conservative churches and pastors. It's a powerful network. On the other hand, Donald Trump has a tremendous amount of organic enthusiasm, which is kind of the prerequisite for a ground game. You can't turn people out if they're not excited about you. Otherwise, you're just pushing on a string. Uh, Donald Trump, I have been told all along, has more of a field operation in Iowa than you would think. It's not just the big rallies, but he actually has a field operation. So what we're going to find out on caucus night on the Republican side is, was Trump able to turn his greater enthusiasm into real votes? And to what extent will the existing uh, network of Christian conservatives in Iowa help Cruz? So the thing about ground game that continues to strike me is that campaigns talk about what a great ground game they have. And if we do a story as a reporter, I've done stories where I, I go out to cover the ground game and they send you out with a volunteer who's knocking on doors or you go into a headquarters and you see lots of young people sitting around with phones. But it's really, really hard to tell whether they're just talking a big game and showing you something that looks really good or whether it's real, whether their ground game really is good. It's easy to collect anecdotal evidence. It's easy to for people to see something in their email inbox, to get a phone call, to, to pass that along. It's easy to kind of, like you said, go out with a campaign. But it's hard to get that big picture quantification. And it's especially hard because the result of whether or not it's working We don't know until people actually show up and vote or caucus. And, you know, the interesting thing back in 2004, uh, when Howard Dean ran, 
in the Democratic caucus in Iowa, he had a tremendous amount of outsiders come in to help him. And they were young people, mostly college kids from other places. And they did wear orange knit hats. And that's how you knew that they were dean people and they knocked on doors. When we came in to the dean headquarters and saw the sea of orange hats and it was just teeming with people, we thought, whoa, this is some field operation. Little did we know that those orange-hatted kids ticked off a lot of the people they were knocking on doors for. They didn't get them out. They caused a backlash. And what's interesting about that is it just goes to show you it's very hard to evaluate the effectiveness of a ground game from the outside. And that gets us to the cliche that I hate, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is the only poll that matters is the one on Election Day. Or it's very hard to make predictions, especially about the future. (laughs) And with that, I think that's all the time we have for this quick take. Thanks for listening. And let us know if you like the show. You can find us on Twitter. You can also email us. And if you have questions, we'd love to get them there. NPRpolitics at NPR.org. And as always, you can catch our political coverage on your local public radio station as well. I'm Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover tech and the campaign. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. And we will be back on Friday with our weekly roundup of political news on the NPR Politics Podcast. 